The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. So glad you're here and that we can usher in this end of the year and this new year together. And I wanted to say a little bit tonight about vows, a vow-powered life. You know, as I think about this year coming to a close, I, I don't know, we've been through a lot. Um, and to continue to go through a lot, not just um, this year, but the past few years. Um, massive changes in culture and the pandemic and you know things continuing, the, the earth crying out. So the beginning of a new year is a way that we can begin to begin to see new again begin again anew, be fresh, being fresh. And actually this end of the year, I, I was looking for, you know, it's, it's a human invention, a New Year's Eve, uh, because it must be something that we want and we need. And we see this, these marks of transitions all along in our life, ways that we can renew our purpose, realign our compass to true north. All along, there's markings of passages, right? Births and deaths, thresholds that we're crossing, initiations that we go through, cycles of nature. You know, wasn't weren't people writing you happy equinox? a change happening with the light. These are stopping places in a way, or places where we can look more deeply, take stock. Something's happening. So we're at the threshold of a new year, and it's an opportunity to reflect on past, on present, and future. Just reflect. And with that reflection to make vows. Now, Fusatsu, what we're, this ceremony we're in, is a renewal of vows ceremony. And some of us may not have taken formal vows, but um, we have our own internal vows, directions of how we want to guide ourselves and live our life and be in harmony with one another. And so this is this particular ceremony is each of us individually, alone, and together atoning for any harmful karma actions created by, by me, as we chanted, from our born of our body, mouth, and thought. We can think of karma as separation, ways that we separate ourselves, 
and commit to practicing good and actualizing that good for others. That's at the heart of the precepts of our life, is to don't make harm. So it's always important to renew our vows. Some of you have made vows in different ways, maybe in to other people in marriage in different ways, set a direction, set a direction as an aspiring bodhisattva, one who does want to dedicate their life to relieving one's own suffering and that of others. So it's a place where we can rededicate ourselves to the practice of the bodhisattva's way. Now, a similar ceremony took place at the time of the Buddha. It wasn't called Fusatsu, it was Proximoksa, renewal of the precepts, and where the whole community would get together, if you can imagine this, and say where they transgressed, where they broke the precepts together, like bringing that out, holding each other accountable, and helping each other shape our lives which karma is, it's how we shape our life, what we make of our life. It's um, derived from the uh, root word uh, kr, how do you pronounce k-r? Kr, thank you. Um, Which means action, or to make, or to do. So karma is to what we make or what we do with our lives through our actions. And one of the translations I read of Fusatsu is continuous good practice or to cease from unwholesome actions. So that's Fusatsu. We renew our vows to have continuous good practice to cease from unwholesome actions, where we make fresh and strong again the direction we choose to go in that creates good. And we can bring the body of insight, the body that recognizes that, together with the mind of insight. Master Dogen said, when you arouse and bring forth your entire body-mind, and practice of yourself, the earth, mountains, rivers, sun, moon, and stars. You move the earth, and the earth in return moves you. The four elements are immediately actualized. The instrument is in tune. I like that last line. The instrument is in tune. So vowels are a kind of tune-up. And we definitely need tune-ups to flow in, to, to flow, <laughs> period. <laughs> and the main thing about karma is this relationship between what we choose to do and then what we make of ourselves, how we shape ourselves. We inherit our karma from the past, from previous moments of existence in the form of a self, So we are this bundle of formations, of elements, of skandhas, these are other names for it, of conditions. And the past shapes how we understand and 
and create our present intentions. So if we can increase the amount of mindfulness, which means remembering, actually, sati, mindfulness is remembering, we can expand the range of our possible responses, right? And this is the freedom in this heavily conditioned system. And by freedom here, I mean being able to choose how we respond to things. And if we're mindful, we can actually find more ways, a more expanded range of possible responses, which is where a vow may come in. So a vow... When you think of that, what is a vow? A vow expresses intention, an aspiration for the things which are most challenging and most difficult, and at the same time must be done. That's a vow, a commitment, a deep commitment to see something through, no matter what the obstacles are. It gives us that direction because we will encounter obstacles. As a monastic, um, for myself, I have the precepts, but also monastic vows to live a life of simplicity, stability, service, selflessness, to accomplish the Buddha's way. And every day I have to renew my vows. Because every day I encounter something that challenges simplicity, something that challenges selflessness, service. So I have to constantly be redirecting myself to that vow. There's a poem I found by David White, which um, you may know. It's called All the True Vows. And the ways we find out what is real and what is not. It starts off, all the true vows, by the way, he's a a Zen practitioner and also more of a philosopher. He's a deep thinker about things. All the true vows are secret vows. The ones we speak out loud are the ones we break. There is only one life you can call your own and a thousand others you can call by any name you want. Hold to the truth you make every day with your own body. Don't turn your face away. Hold to the truth at the center of the image you were born with. Don't turn your face away. Remember, in this place, no one can hear you. And out of the silence, you can make a new promise. It will kill you to break. That way you'll find out what is real and what is not. I'll just stop that part. I was thinking how in the past we would all make New Year's resolutions. They were called resolutions in our life pre-practice, perhaps. 
which usually, to me, when I was thinking about it, had when I heard them, had an air of self-improvement, like, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to run, go to the gym, um, meditate. That one's helped us quite a bit. You know, in January, we usually have a surge of practitioners because of resolutions. <laughs> so thank you for your resolutions. <laughs> the, the January ZTW was always full, and then it starts to dwindle again, <laughs> gets weak. But that, vows are, I think, different from New Year's resolutions. They speak to something, in a way, much larger because they speak of our, our deepest intentions. They emerge from our own unique life circumstances. It's our, he, sa- he calls it, our secret vows. It's, it's ours. It lives in us in, in accord with our, our body our unique life and circumstances. And they're made to orient our life, what is most beneficial. How do we want to shape our lives? How do you want to shape your life? What is most important? Mizumi Roshi was once asked about what happens when we die. He replied that while the physical body may die, it is our vows that live on after death. I was really struck by that, that it's our intention in life that lives on. I was asking myself, why even make a vow? Why would you want to make a vow? Well, For one, I realized how easily I I get distracted and can lose my direction. I can go off course. Vows bring me back. Bring me back to what I think is most important and essential. So they help us to remember. I mean, when I look at the precepts... um, I think I've broken a few (laughs) already in this day that I have to return to. I told a little lie. It wasn't a big one when I didn't need to. I took something today that wasn't mine and seemed available, but I wasn't sure. But I took it anyway. It was a bag of watercolors, (laughs) as if I didn't have enough. But... um, it was in the art room, and it wasn't labeled. So I needed some colors, so I took some. But I felt it. I really felt it. And I, I didn't change it on the spot, and I did it as I knew it was happening. And I, made, and I put them back, and I took them, and that's how I knew it was like off, because I was like messing around with it, right? So we do that. We sort of like, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> and there's that, that tension there. So that's where we really need to examine and see. Because that, that has an effect, what we choose and to make of ourself. 
How do we realign with that intention of harmony? How do we understand it? What, what's the best action that would benefit myself and others? Like, can, I can imagine now someone coming up there, where's my watercolors? <laughs> so I will bring them back. I'm going back tomorrow. So, so it's a good system. Chosen Rosie once came to the monastery and she did a retreat on Great Vows. That's the name of her monastery because she's really um, interested in vows. And she had us go through our families to see what kind of vows were made in our families. Like I wrote down, my grandfather was um, a musician. He was an orchestra conductor. And he was very, in, in his line, they were very devoted to the arts. There was a lot of uh, ball, ball, ballet artists. Um, uh, and his life was all about music. And my mother vowed to take care of her children. I'm fortunate to be on the receiving end of that, the best she could. Um, so we would look at our, our lineage. And also there were some vows that came up that were passed on that were not helpful, like misusing alcohol. That somebody could have a vow to alcohol, and they drink or sexuality, and harming, harming themselves, harming others. And how some of these vows that may be in our lineage benefit us to change direction, to put an end to it, to stop the karma. So even though that might have been something they did, Somehow it raised our Bodhi mind to do something different. And maybe that was after a lot of trial and error and taking a certain path and saying, nope, I'm turning around. So she wanted us to appreciate that we can set a new direction. We can release karmic bonds. They're not fixed. We can change a confused direction and realign ourselves. It's an open system. And she wanted us to appreciate how ways of being, how our vows are larger, and they don't actually begin with us. That a lot of what's in our mind streams did not begin with us. So it makes it a bit larger. And then we can call on ancestors and still help them change direction. We, by the present, we can change, how we are in the present, our actions in the present can change the past and can affect, set up how the future will be. She introduced us to different kinds of vows we make, like short-term vows to complete a project or school to embark on a journey or complete something. She spoke of family and community vows, promising to care for a parent as long as we're able to, vowing to raise and care for a child, promising to help people in abusive situations, 
vowing to care for the earth, marriage to a person or persons. And she spoke of ethical vows to uphold the Buddhist precepts or specific precepts, to speak kind words, even to difficult people, to resolve unwholesome actions and live with integrity, to make amends to beings we may have harmed. I vow. And so, as we study the self, we see that we tend to form deep attachments to the three poisons of greed, anger, and ignorance, and the conflict that that creates when we form that attachment with being greedy or angry or ignorant. It simply it creates obstructions and how that that undermines our spiritual practice. We need to see this. And the weird thing is that it could feel so natural because it's it's a propensity that we're familiar with and it can feel very natural because it comes easily. So we really have to be attuned to what we're doing that some of these ways, these poison ways of, of, of creating conflict feel natural. The Buddha realized everything we do has a moral impact for ourselves and others. And he said, to begin practicing means that we have to begin by ceasing from evil or ceasing from harm. How can we expect to live in a way that's not hindering unless we see and stop hindering? How can we stop, how can we live a life clearly if we don't stop making a fog? How can we stop wars if we don't stop the war within us? Buddha also realized the absolute nature of all things, human and non-human, that all things are without any fixed characteristics, which is why we can shift and change. If it was fixed, we're done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> can't, can't move. Can't, why practice? It's done. But it's not set in stone. That because of human consciousness... Because we think, because we have intention, because we make decisions, because we perceive good and bad, we perceive pain and pleasure, that everything we do, that we do has an effect that brings about pain or pleasure for the most part. So the teachings always bring a lot of attention to Really pay attention, look deeply, keenly, alertly, ceaselessly, and have courage to turn around, to turn towards what is real and true. Hold the truth you make every day with your own body. Don't turn your face away. And then be in harmony. Give life. So with the precepts, they contain what not to do and what to do. 
actions that create obstacles. Don't, don't kill. Don't, don't steal. Do not steal. Don't speak of others' errors and faults. Don't be false and tell lies. Cease from evil. Don't make obstructions. Don't be angry. Don't be withholding. Because there are many such moments we do that. And they also point to the affirmative moments when we're not angry, when we're not withholding. We're not speaking of others' errors and faults. So they address the moment and the capacity, the, the ability that's present at, at every moment to see the perfection, to live generously, to live in generosity. They recognize the full capacity to be without anger, to be without stinginess, to be without hurtful judgment of others that there have been many such moments in our life. And I was thinking how it seems like even before we entered practice, we knew what that meant. Before we we really knew that how we use our minds really does create our experience. Before we even knew that connection, think of those moments where you were actively struggling, wrestling, seeing anger arise, but trying to shift before you practiced. Trying not to be angry, wanting to be generous, biting our tongue, not speaking ill when we could really feel like we wanted to speak ill of others. Even before practice, caught within confusion. There we were, trying to see more honestly, bogged down in selfishness, trying to be larger, being intoxicated and realizing the dead end of that. And we may have had to go through it many times. And we were like, no, no, I don't want to do this. But we didn't have a path. We didn't know what to turn to, but yet we we felt it. So these things probably happened in our lives, and each and every effort, even within confusion, was a step towards discovering what was real and true, whether we knew it or not. And so I think... When I think of that myself, it really helps me to understand the vastness of the karmic web that we're in and see how vow, in vow, there is intelligence and wisdom running through. And if it weren't for that, we wouldn't be here. We would not have heard the Dharma. We wouldn't have heard it. But that running through us, when the Dharma, when we heard the Dharma, was like, there it is. There's the direction I've been looking for. I, I hear it. I've been looking for it. I've been through so much that, and trying and wrestling. And 
Here it is. Away. So whenever we make a vow, in order to practice and fulfill that vow, we have to be intimately aware that we can undermine the vow. Uh, Kyogen Carlson, who was, was he, he passed away, I think it was two, a couple of years ago now. He's from Dharma Rain out in Oregon. He said this um, that always stayed with me. He said, as soon as you make a vow, an equal and opposite force against the vow arises. Wow. Like as soon as we make a direction, like a force going the other way arises simultaneously. It's kind of like the law of physics manifesting in the sphere of human behavior. So we should be aware of this force of undermining the direction we want to go in. We have to become transparent to ourselves, be fearless, see, accept, and practice everything that's undignified, (laughs) that's hateful, that's petty, that's jealous. Because that's how we find our way back when we practice that. As Shugen Roshi often states, we have to shift from the last one to find out to being the first. And in this, we can discover that every attachment is liberating. Anything we're attached to is liberating when it's released. Every form of ignorance is illuminating when we move through it. All evil karma ever committed by me on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance born of my body, mouth, and thought I atone for it all. I look deeply into the binding, obstructive, negative aspects to understand what creates obstructions. And at the same time, to not ignore all that is good. All that is good to see this too. So at the threshold of this new year, Let's reflect on good karma, because that too has been extremely instrumental in bringing us to this place, to appreciate the life we have, the ancestors we have, no matter who they were, appreciating the people in our life. Because when we appreciate that, then we'll want to take care whether it's a person or a thing or the earth. Everyone here, everyone here in this room has had an encounter with a person, a teaching, a reading, a conversation that introduced us to Buddha Dharma. Some of you are here for the first time. What was it? Something you heard, some connection, And then that can lead us to an investigation, an exploration. Ultimately, we found our way here. Let us appreciate how much is in place for us, mentally, physically, 
emotionally, resourcefully, ability, time, that we are able to practice this dharma. And without fear, without fear of punishment, without fear of imprisonment even, or seriously being ridiculed, we can practice this here. That we have good dharma friends. Many people have never even had a sense that there's a way to be free of what binds them. They know they are, but they may not have a sense of a path. There's a way. Many have a sense and seek, but don't find a way. So we should reflect on our good fortune. You may not think it, it's so, but it's look deeply. It's so. You might think like, oh, this is just it. I'm just doing this thing, you know. But it is a lot that lined up. There's a lot of possibility here. And Daido Roshi, my teacher, first teacher, poured his heart, his blood, his sweat, his tears, his wisdom, his leap-facing courage in helping to create what he called an archive of sanity, a place to find sanity within what seems to be an insane world. He just wanted us to have a place to find wisdom, true wisdom, and tirelessly just keep bringing that forward. <laughs> just keep bringing it forward. That's, that, that was his thing, really. How fortunate we are. So we'll sit um, another two periods And then at the end, you can bring a vow forward if you would like to. Make an offering. Um, Hold your vow close to you. Embody it. Perhaps allow it to have be unformed images. uh, Not an expectation. Not an agenda. Personal and grounded. For me, it's the ones that I can turn to every day. That's how simple it is. Like, remember to practice. I vow to remember to practice. I can turn to that at any hour, (laughs) any time, to take care of now, to do my very best, to walk in another's shoes, A vow that will guide you when you meet an impasse. You can say, ah, this is the vow I made. I have mine for four years now up in my, well, refrigerator. That's no longer. They're moved. Why do we put stuff up on refrigerators? I guess because we go there so often. But where do you go so often that you'll see it? Remember it. the vow that can arouse you when you fall asleep. Let it be in your language. Okay, doesn't... Just let it be in your language. However, it's that secret vow 
not the ones we speak out loud, but the one that's your language, that only you need to understand, your expression. All that matters is that it speaks to you in your silence. All the true vows are secret vows. The ones we speak out loud are the ones we break. Remember, in this place, no one can hear you, and out of the silence, you can make a new promise. It will kill you to break. That way you'll find out what is real and what is not. That's the stuff of vow, of aspiration. Not what we're going to do, more so what a life of doing that will do. (laughs) We'll create. He has another part of the poem. It says, Let your words join to another the way stones nestle on stone, the way water just leaves and goes to sea. Now leave them to go on. Let your words carry their own life without you. Let the promise go to the river. Have faith. Walk away. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.